Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Peyton Grove, joined as always by Chris Fedor and... Uh, it has been a week since we did the podcast, or two weeks, actually, because we didn't do one last week. Uh, but I saw Chris last week. We were able to get, to get together and play some golf. And uh, if you don't know, Chris is quite a good golfer. So it was great to get out there and play with him. And uh, although he didn't, uh, he's, he's trying to still find those, uh, those Nike balls that uh, don't no longer exist. What, what's the update on that? Any update on the Nike balls? Yeah, so here is the one yet. I've not been able to find uh, a good one yet. I'm still experimenting, trying to find the right one for me nowadays. Um, man, I have been playing Nike ball since, Hayden, I think I was in high school, on the high school golf team when I started playing Nike balls. So it's been a couple of decades, at least. Um, and I was reaching out to a number of different people that are golfers to try and get a feel for what they think I should use based on um, the kind of ball that I used to play. So first I went online and I just kind of Google searched Nike golf balls to see if I could buy some. And people have what they're labeling slightly used or um, only a few rounds in them or whatever. And it's like, I don't want to use those kinds of balls. So I reached out to Jimmy Hanlon. You know Jimmy. Yes, of course. Jimmy does the uh, TV show on Sports Time Ohio. Uh, he was the head pro. I don't think he still is. He was the head pro at like Stonewater and little mountain country club. So I said, Jimmy, here's the deal. And he just started laughing at me. He's like, that's amazing. It's hilarious. Here's what I would suggest. And he suggested Hayden that I use either Callaway Chrome soft, the ball that I actually found on that one hole that we played. I can't remember which one it was. Very nice. Um, Or he suggested Bridgestone because a lot of people, that used Nike golf balls have transitioned to Bridgestone because I don't know if Bridgestone is making Nike golf balls or they're trying to make their balls similar to Nike so that people have a path after Nike. There you go. So Jimmy Hamlin's a good person to reach out to for sure. I mean, that's, Oh yeah. You know, that's Northeast Ohio golf. Yeah. That's, that's the guy you want to talk to. So, so, uh, all right, there's an update there, which is good. And we still have nine holes to play. We got a, we had a rain check. And, uh, yes. We'll, we'll, we'll so I think for the know. next nine, the next nine, I think I'll try the Bridgestone softs, see if those work for me. Okay, and we'll give you guys a, a full <laughs> hole-by-hole update, shot-by-shot update, because I'm sure you want to hear all about that. Hey, uh, man. Anyway, yeah. I, I rolled in a birdie putt. I rolled in one birdie putt on the nine that we played. That was you, nice. You did, I, yes. And you, you, you – you had a good round start. I started, I found a, a couple of days after, I think I started to actually find my drive. So hopefully, oh, okay. hopefully we can get it where it's consistent. I don't know though, but you know, that's just me talking because I found a consistency and then next time I go out, it could very well just be trash. So, Oh man, that's golf Hayden. You know, know that. that. Yeah. Oh, exactly. That's, that's exactly why I said that <laughs> because that is golf, you know. Tiger can find it one day, and the next day just completely lose it. So that's exactly right. Yeah, hopefully, um, it is a basketball podcast. So we are going to talk basketball, specifically Cavaliers basketball today. And uh, though there hasn't been much in the way of news, news um, certainly want to uh, talk a little bit before we dive into some more basketball um, focused topics. We want to talk a little bit about Kevin Love's uh, Arthur Ashe. Uh, a courage award uh, last night at the ESPYs. He was uh, given the award and received the award and 
said basically that, you know, it's an honor, but it's also a challenge to continue to speak out on, on mental health issues and to continue to inspire, you know, younger people to um, speak out for themselves on mental health issues because, uh, you know, so many of us deal with it. And uh, I thought it was a really, really well done piece. Um, and I, I, you know, obviously my connection with, with Kevin and, and what he's been able to do for me uh, in regards to mental health has been documented on uh, Cleveland.com. But Chris, I mean, you, you've been written a lot about, you know, Kevin Love and what he's been able to do for the mental health community. What was your, you know, thought on last night? And, and uh, what's your thought on this thing in general? Well, I just think it shows the transformation of Kevin Love, Hayden. And, and that's my biggest takeaway from all of this. Um, look, the message that he continues to deliver is fantastic. Um, he has become the face of mental health awareness. And I don't know at the time that, that he released the essay in 2018 if he knew for sure, Hayden, that he would become the face of this and that it would be as received the way that it has been. Um, but that's just the reality of it now. He's going on... Um, Places like ESPN, Good Morning America, he's, he's started the Kevin Love Fund. He continues to do everything possible um, to change the stigma around this illness. And even though it was DeMar DeRozan who Kevin Love credits for giving Kevin the kind of bravery needed, um, the courage needed uh, to actually speak out about this sort of thing, you know, it's not Damar who is the face of this thing. It's Kevin who has become the face of this thing. And if you would have told me, Hayden, back in 2014 when he first arrived to the Cavs in a trade um, with Minnesota, I would have said no way. I mean, think about Kevin when he first got here. He didn't fit in. There was the whole fit in, fit out thing with LeBron, and that probably didn't help things. But But Kevin was so uncomfortable in his own skin and seemed so unsure of himself that he would look down at the ground during post-game interview scrums. And people were like, what is up with this guy? And that was our first introduction, Hayden, if you remember. Sure, that was yeah. our first introduction to Kevin because, yeah, he was a multiple-time All-Star and an Olympic gold medalist um, in Minnesota, but not a lot of people were really paying attention to Kevin Love the person when he was in Minnesota. We got a feel for Kevin Love, the person, the first time he came here in the trade. And the first interactions were him being awkward, socially distant, and like I said, not comfortable in any kind of environment. And I think that's because he wasn't comfortable with himself. And to see the transformation to now, where he can joke, where he can be himself, where he doesn't care about outside perception, where he can be so courageous and so vulnerable to open up and dig down deep into his feelings and, and put it in an essay um, the way that he did in 2018, I, you just have to give him a lot of credit. That, that's, that's what I think. Um, because not everybody um, in a man's sport um, where, where so many people talk about uh, you have to play through injuries, uh, you have to be manly all the time, you can't show your feelings – for him to be willing to do it um, and in the in the forum where he did, laying it all out there in the essay that was personal, deep, and heartfelt, um, it's just such a powerful message that he continues to deliver. And the number of lives that he has saved and continues to change. Um, Kevin has always talked about his second act is going to be more impactful than anything he did on the basketball court. And, and I think we're seeing that every single day, Hayden. Oh, 100%. Um, you know, his impact on the, on the basketball court is just that. It's on the basketball court. And there's not, you know, a very, very, very small percentage of the population knows what it means to play NBA basketball. But uh, I tweeted this last night, and I wanted to pull it up because you mentioned it. Um, yeah, I said, just, just by being transparent about his struggles with mental health, Kevin loved saving an innumerable amount of young people from going through incredible pain and sorrow. If that's not leadership and strength, I don't know what it is. Time to save many, many more. So I, I completely agree that the, the, just by being doing, just by being brave enough and having enough, I, I don't know what the word is. It's, it's not like, I don't, it, it, yes, it's definitely courage, definitely bravery, but just having the ability to, to realize, the, you know, what you're going through and, and that 
it's very difficult to describe. Um, but just having that self-awareness to say, hey, I need to do something here mm. because I need to, I know what I can, I know what platform I have and I know, um, you know, what I've been through. Um, I need to make, I need to stand for something. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing that he was able to, um, you know, come out and do that. And I don't, I agree with you hundred percent too, that he didn't, I don't think he came out and was like, Oh, well, I'm going to be the face of mental health in the NBA. I think it was like, I, I need to do this for myself. I need to put this yes. out there so that I, you know, that I, and I, I've talked about this before as well. It's just like, you know, just having that release of like, you know, coming out as who you are as a human being. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean that anything necessarily changes outside of the fact that it's a relief for yourself. It makes you right. feel, okay, you know, I, I, it's out there. I'm okay with it. I'm comfortable with it. Um, and I'm going to get better. And I think it's just, a, it just, as you said, it just completely transformed who he is. And I think it transforms a lot of people when you have that ability to come out and say, Hey, I'm vulnerable. I'm human. I have yep. problems just like everybody else. And, uh, I think he was more than deserving of that award. And, and last night during the ESPYs, musician Demi Lovato, who has had her own struggles yeah. with this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, she was the one that kind of did the narration for, for the entire Arthur Ashe Courage Award presentation. Yeah. And I think she said it best, Hayden, in terms of, like, Kevin always used basketball as his escape. He said it last night during his speech that this was something that he first felt in middle school. But he yeah. didn't know fully what it was. He didn't know what he was dealing with. And Demi Lovato said, once it entered into the realm of what used to be Kevin's escape from it all, basketball, and he yeah. had the panic attack in the November game in 2017 with the Cavs, where like he was emotionless, he put his jersey over his head, he couldn't breathe, and he had to run back to the locker room. Like Once this illness invaded his quote-unquote safe place or his escape, like that's when he really had to admit it. And that's when he had to dig down deep and look at himself in the mirror and say, yes, I'm going through something, but other people are going through something as well. So if I share my story and they can relate to it, and if I can just save one person, um, that's going to be enough. Or if I can just continue to raise awareness for this sort of thing, that's going to be enough. So, so I think that um, was very, very powerful what Demi had to say. And, and that resonated with me. And I reached out to general manager Kobe Altman, um, and he texted this. He said, Kevin has displayed an incredible amount of courage and vulnerability over the past couple of years in revealing his battles with mental health. His overwhelming desire to seek help for not only himself, but others like him, sheds light on the true spirit of his character. The global impact felt through his personal journey and the continued work of his foundation makes all of us proud. And to witness up close the evolution of his achievements both on and off the court, I can't think of a better person at this time to receive such a prestigious honor. Yeah, I mean, that hits the nail on the head. And, and I, think that's, I think that's well said. I mean, I think when you talk about the Arthur Ashe Courage Award, um, this is the definition of it. Um, with with how much he has helped people around the country yeah and continues to and, and like i said i think it's only the beginning you know this is something that is going to affect so many and uh, you know it hasn't even uh, there are some that haven't been affected by it yet that will be and you know it's going to go through so many different people but i think again the fact that you know when people are feeling this way you know be it from, you know young children or you know or even Older adults, I mean, they, they know that they're they know that there's a way out. They know that there's a way to overcome it. They know that, you know, they can find a way to get through this. And um, you know, during this global, during this pandemic, um, you know, suicide rates in the country are up because the, mental health is, is it's already a big problem. And then you put on, you know, the added inability to go anywhere or really do anything or talk to anybody, and it just makes it that much more difficult for people. So. Um, yep. We still, we certainly have a long way to go. And I think the more you just, the more you get the word out there and the more people that step up and the more people that admit um, that, you know, they have, they, they also feel the same things that Kevin has felt. And a lot of us have felt um, the, the better we're going to, the better off we're going to be for it. And um, you know, whether he wanted to or not, he started a movement and um, it's, it's, you're certainly going to be far more important than anything he does in the basketball court, as you said, for yep. sure. 
All right. Well, Kevin, yeah, congratulations to him for a a well-received honor for sure. Um, You've written a lot about that on Cleveland.com slash Cavs, and you guys should all check out Chris's work on Cleveland.com slash Cavs. But also you've been, you know, working on some other things uh, throughout the weeks here that I was, or the week that I was gone. And uh, one of those things specifically um, was, and I'm reading the headline here, Darius Garland was the NBA's worst player. Just think about that for a second. That's, I mean, that's a sentence that was written by you. I mean, and that's what we're going to talk about. I mean, okay, so the question behind it is, should he get a pass for a horrible horrible rookie season? So uh, if you haven't read read the article yet, go check it out. It's on clear.com slash cast. But also, Chris, I mean, just what did you, when you wrote that sentence, did, did anything cross your mind? Like, like, wow, I just wrote that this guy was a top, you know, top 10 pick and ended up being the NBA's worst player last year. Like, how does that bode for his future and the future of the Cavaliers? Well, it was surprising when I started to dig into the numbers, Hayden, um, yeah. because I guess when you're in it, you don't really recognize it. I think a lot of people understood uh, that Darius had some struggles in his rookie season. Um and, and there are natural growing pains that go with being a rookie in the NBA. And then on top of that, being a rookie point guard in the NBA. Then on top of that, being 19 years old when you start your NBA career, having played just four full seasons in college. So there were a lot of things that he had to overcome from the very beginning. There were a lot of things, Hayden, that worked against him. And then on top of that, he was thrown into a backcourt with Colin Sexton, and it was an awkward fit. That was bad. So you throw that all in the mix and you do have the recipe for this kind of thing. But he was last in win shares. He was last in the NBA in value over replacement player. He was last in ESPN's real plus minus, which estimates a player's on-court impact on team performance. It measures it in net point differential per 100 offensive and defensive possession. Sure. But it also takes into account like all those other things that I talked about, like those ancillary factors including his teammates opponents other things like that so i was like whoa like the Cavs were a better team when darius was on the bench and that was surprising to me um so i think when i did the research on it it just it just surprised me the level in which the numbers pointed to just how much of a net negative he was for the team in his rookie season so while that's surprising, I mean, we've talked about a lot about, you know, just the fact that he had to overcome injuries at Vanderbilt that didn't really play that much. And he's kind of a young kid and he, the way that he plays, he's kind of, he, you know, just kind of didn't really, as you said, didn't really mesh well with Colin Sexton. But I think, you know, I think in general, and maybe you'll disagree, but I think in general, you know, people haven't been super hard on Darius Garland. I mean, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's maybe it's because of what he did at Vanderbilt or what he didn't do at Vanderbilt. And, you know, maybe the expectation wasn't aside, but people have certainly been hard on Colin Sexton. Why do you think, um, why do you think that Colin Sexton has taken so much more heat? And, and do you think it's fair? I mean, what is, what is the difference between the way that people are coming at Colin and the way that people are coming at Darius? This is a great question. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons actually. Okay, And I I think some of them we have talked about on this podcast, Hayden, that there were things that people disliked about Colin that he couldn't control, that had nothing to do with him. Like shot selection, whatever, you can talk about that. You can talk about his um, tunnel vision when he drives to the basket, not getting his teammates involved. Like to some degree, Hayden, those things are controllable by the player. But one of the things with Colin is he came in with the stink of this was the guy who was brought here because the Cavs wouldn't trade the quote-unquote Brooklyn pick during the season to try and chase another championship in the final year of LeBron. So that was always attached to Colin. Always. And it was hard. It was a hard thing for him to shake. On top of that, I mean, he was also a guy who in, in some ways was replacing Kyrie Irving. He was the centerpiece of the Kyrie Irving trade. So a lot was expected. A lot was demanded of him. Um, the Brooklyn pick that the Cavs got in that trade from Boston 
was supposed to be better than it was. It wasn't supposed to be the eighth overall pick. It was supposed to be like a top five pick or a top three pick. And it turned out not to be that. So I think that's part of it, Hayden. On top of that, and I asked a player this point blank throughout the course of the season. I went up to him and I said, hey, why is Darius not getting the kind of criticism that Colin got last year when Darius has been worse by every measure than Colin was in his rookie season? And the answer that I got from the player at that time, and I think it was in the first half of the season, Hayden, I think it was around December when I brought it up to this player. The answer that I got from him was twofold. One, Darius was protected. Darius was protected in the locker room because his number one ally was Tristan Thompson, who is a clutch sports client. So Darius always had the relationship with Tristan where Tristan was the built-in protector. He was the guy who kind of took Darius under his wing. When Colin came to the team as a rookie, Colin had nobody. He had no allies whatsoever. George Hill was kind of like his mentor because he played the same position, but he didn't have that relationship, that bond with any player in that locker room the way that Darius had the bond with Tristan Thompson when Darius came into the NBA. The second reason that I was given from that player was that um, while Colin was making mistakes throughout his rookie season and getting criticism for them, like he wasn't showing a willingness or a desire to actually change those things and work on those things. So Darius was failing, but he was trying. Darius was trying to play the right way. Darius was trying to make the right plays. Darius was trying to do the right things for his teammates. Failing at those things, yes, but still trying to play the proper way. Whereas Colin was failing and not necessarily trying to fix the things that he was failing at. At least that's what their perception was. So those were the reasons that the player gave me in terms of why Darius... Um, didn't get as much criticism as Colin. And I thought it was really, really interesting when he explained it that sort of way. Well, yeah, that's definitely interesting because, you know, from what we hear about Colin and what we see from Colin is that he works really hard. I mean, you know, Kevin Love said on the conference call last, I think it was last week or the week before, um, you know, he's never seen a player work as hard to get better as Colin Sexton. I mean, I don't think he meant, you know, I'm, I'm sure he wasn't necessarily referring to a guy like LeBron or something like that. But the point being, that Colin Sexton works his tail off. So like, so I guess mm-hmm. my, my question is, so if Colin works his tail off, so like, so, and works so hard at, at improving, I mean, is it just something where this is kind of new that he, that this is happening with Colin or is this something that has just kind of evolved? You mean in terms of his work? Oh, yeah. In terms of like the stuff that he's working on. I mean, to some degree, like he's always been this guy who's always going to work really, really hard. But at the same time, he can be stubborn. So like it's one thing to be a really hard worker and and players are going to recognize that they're going to respect that they're going to appreciate that. But you also have to show a willingness to work on the things that they see as flaws. Right. And at times in his rookie season, Colin was stubborn about those things. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. And and here's the other thing. Like, I think it's important to like go back to Colin's rookie season and and paint a picture of where the Cavs were like, yeah, they were in a post LeBron era. LeBron had just left for Los Angeles, but, but there was a belief internally and from some externally that this team was supposed to still push for one of those playoff spots in the Eastern Conference. As silly as that sounded, right, and as silly as that goal was because they had just lost the most impactful player in the entire NBA, like, that's what was told to guys like Kevin Love and and Channing Frye and Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith. They came back with Ty Lue as the head coach, remember, at that time. So it wasn't like, immediate yes LeBron's gone we're going right into the rebuild it it wasn't that that wasn't the mentality that wasn't the message being relayed to a bunch of guys so all of a sudden that becomes their reality because they move on from Ty after six games and they start 0-6 and and there's like um, this epiphany of oh crap we really suck like we're going to be a lottery team and then they started operating as such You know, but initially, like in their mind, they didn't have time for the rookie kid to develop 
and like get control of the team and be like the focal point of the new era. Like they didn't have time for that because in their mind, they were trying to chase one of the final playoff spots in the Eastern Conference, as silly as that sounds now. So is that part of it too? Is that part of it too where where Darius Carlin came in and the Cavs really didn't have an expectation of yes. anything? That's definitely part of it in my Absolutely. mind. Absolutely. I think so. And I think the other thing, Hayden, is like they learned a lot of patience. The players in the locker room learned a lot of patience from the whole Colin thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you remember the year that Colin was a rookie, Larry Drew had to come out after he took over for Ty Lue and, and tell his players, stop. Like, stop being so hard on this kid. You were a rookie at one time. You went through these same things. You, yeah. at the level that you're at right now, is not at the level that he's at right now. So you have to have some empathy and understanding for that sort of thing. So I think because some of the players finally were around young guys, if you think about it, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, specifically NJR Smith, they, for a while, they were chasing championships and they were only surrounded by like veteran guys. There wasn't a lot of young talent on those LeBron-led teams. It was previous champions or veterans. They knew how to play. They knew what it took. They knew the right way. So they, in Colin's first year, had to get used to playing with a young guy who didn't know what he was doing again. And I think because some of those guys went through that with Colin, um, it was a lot easier when they had to go through some of those growing pains and rookie struggles with somebody like Darius and to a lesser extent, Kevin Porter Jr. They knew better what to expect. So with all this said, I mean, going into next season, you know, how long of a leash does Darius Garland have, you know, with with yet another short season with the, uh, you know, all that's happened. I mean, what, what are your expectations going into 2021 uh, for uh, for a guy like Darius Garland? Yeah, I mean, Hayden, I think a lot of the things, a lot of the reasons why you would give him a pass and why I think he deserves a pass, like it has to do with the circumstances surrounding his rookie season. Well, those circumstances, many of them anyway, Hayden, they're, they're changed going into his second year, right? He has some NBA experience under his belt. There isn't going to be a coaching change midway through the season. He had some experience playing with Colin Sexton in that small backcourt. So a lot of those circumstances that buy him time, those have changed. And because of that, um, I think it's time for him now to show in year two uh, why he was the fifth overall pick in the draft. And if he doesn't start showing flashes, at least in his sophomore season, then I think it's going to start to get problematic. And then I think the criticism is going to be more warranted. Yeah, it's well, I mean, we certainly don't know what's going to happen with the NBA. You're, we're hoping that things are kind of going to get back to normal as soon as possible. But um, certainly that'll be one thing to look out for is how, you know, how Darius goes into his second season. And it would be, I guess, it would be his first full season, right? Because this doesn't really count as a full season, does it? Right, and it's his yeah. first full off-season right. since high school of where he can work on his game and he doesn't have to rehab an injury. He's not coming off a season-ending knee injury at this point in time. He's able to work on his craft. He's able to develop his game. Last off-season, it was basically getting himself back into game shape, shaking the rust off, and getting himself healthy again. It wasn't adding to his game or working on his game this offseason is going to give them the opportunity to, one, get bigger, get stronger, maybe get faster, but also sharpen his, his actual on-court game. And, and I think next year we might have a, a, a more clear picture of who Darius Garland is in the NBA and who maybe he can be in the future. We talked a little bit of last week about, you know, we were talking about all these guys, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Kevin Porter Jr. And, you know, Darius Garland should, by all accounts, be back next year. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but going into next season, uh, there are some names that we certainly discussed. And one of those names is Tristan Thompson, who you said was kind of Darius Garland's protector in the locker room. And I think, obviously, if Tristan Thompson isn't there next year, that might even be, you know, that might. Do you think that would affect 
Darius in any way to not have Tristan in that locker room if he ends up going anywhere next season. Yeah, I think so, for sure. Um, because relationships are so big in, in the NBA. And, and locker rooms oftentimes, Hayden, they're clicky. You know that. You've been yeah. in enough of them. Even during yeah. the LeBron era, there were clicks. There was the whole sure. triangle with Tristan Tom, uh, with, uh, excuse me, Richard Jefferson, Channing Fry, Kevin Love. There was the LeBron clan. When Dwayne Wade came in, he kind of disrupted the whole locker room dynamic because he um, moved in on the LeBron territory and J.R. Smith kind of got lost in the shuffle. So there's always those kinds of things in a locker room. Um, and, and having Tristan Thompson here, I think, is very good for Darius's development. It's somebody he trusts. It's somebody he can lean on. It's somebody who has won a championship. So... Uh, taking that out of the mix, I think, would impact Darius in a negative way. It's not to say that all of a sudden he would crumble and then he doesn't have any allies or anything like that in that locker room. Other guys will be there to step up and, and help him and, and teach him the right way. Um, but there's a unique relationship built in with Tristan and Darius because of their previous connection through the same agency. I mean, it's. I certainly agree with everything you're saying, and I think that's partly partly the reason why they are not. It, it might. Do you think? I'll ask you. Do you think that it's part of the reason that the Cavaliers, you know, would want to bring Tristan back and and would work to bring Tristan back because of Darius Garland and what that could do for him? Or, no, I don't you know, think it's. Yeah. So I don't think Hayden, it's Darius specific, right? But no, but I obviously think it's, not. Yeah. But I think it's Tristan's leadership. And, and the value that he brings behind the scenes. That's absolutely something that the Cavs have to think about here because they're talking about building a culture, right? They're trying to put a family in place and turn this organization into a family. Um, and, and when you're talking about the, the things that you want from a player off the court, the professionalism, the work ethic, the leadership, um, the experience, that points to Tristan Thompson. If you're talking about culture pieces, he is definitely one of those. So I think the Cavs have to factor that in when they talk about what they're going to offer him this offseason and, and how much they work to bring him back this offseason. Look, they, they talk about those kinds of things, Hayden, when it comes to Kevin Love. That's, that's part of how they define Kevin Love's value for this group. So it's absolutely something that's part of Tristan's value. And because of where the Cavs are in this rebuild and the kind of grownups that they need around a young team, um, Tristan probably has more value here in Cleveland than he would maybe any other organization but a team like the Los Angeles Clippers. Speaking of Tristan Thompson and what he, you know, brings to the Cavaliers and everything, I mean, we could, we've talked a lot about, you know, the opportunity of bringing him back, and we'll see what happens with that. There are obviously a lot of ways that they could go. Um, but you wrote a piece um, in your Hey Chris series where, you know, readers ask you different questions. And speaking of which, uh, you can certainly ask us questions, but you can do so uh, via subtext and uh Subtext is, again, Chris Fedor is going to give you all of your Cavaliers information that you need. Uh, he'll text you two to three times a day with the inside scoop and analysis on the Cavs, what he's hearing. He's going to give you the inside word before things happen. Uh, big breaking news, he'll text you. Like, if Tristan Thompson were to make a decision, Chris would give you the word before anybody else. And um, it's a great way to cut through the clutter of social media and all that stuff. You get it straight from the source. You can get a 14-day free, free trial, and you can cancel at any time. Um, but it's $3.99 a month, and you're not going to want to cancel. We promise you that. So um, cab subtext with Chris Fedor. Again, you can text 216-208-4499, 216-208-4499 to get subtext from Chris. And uh, that's the only way to become a friend of the show and to get your questions to us on the podcast. So get your questions in there. But, Chris, you do take questions from the Hey, Chris. And uh, this one is the, lead, the leading headline in regards to Tristan Thompson. It's a little bit of a fun topic. Um, should Tristan Thompson's jersey be retired? And it says, what about Kevin Love as well? So let's start with Tristan Thompson, though. I mean, Tristan Thompson, one of the longer tenure Cavaliers, 
uh, keeps climbing the record books. And we've talked about that being maybe something that would keep him in Cleveland is, you know, that wanting that, having that desire to continue to climb up the, uh, the record books and to continue to become, you know, one of the most important players in franchise history. But as of right now, if he were to leave, does Mm -hmm. Tristan Compton's number get retired? So my initial reaction to that is no. Um, when I first had this question thrown my way, Hayden, and then I started doing the research on it. And then I started talking to more people around the organization about it. And I started giving it more thought myself. And I think the answer is yes. I think he does deserve it. I think when you consider some of the names that are already up there, um, Tristan is as impactful, if not more impactful um, think about Larry Nance Sr. Think about Nate Thurmond. Nate Thurmond's best basketball came elsewhere. It wasn't here with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Larry Nance Sr. was very, very good. He did a lot defensively. But Tristan Thompson was just as impactful. So I think yes. And I think he played during the time that was the most successful run in franchise history. He spent nine years in Cleveland. Um, he helped them win a championship. They, if, if they didn't have Tristan, they don't win the championship against the Golden State Warriors. So I think when you combine those things on top of uh, where he ranks on the all-time lists already, um, he's top five in rebounds, defensive rebounds, offensive rebounds. He would have been top five at the end of this season if not for the coronavirus shutdown. He was about three away, I want to say, from passing Jim Jones for the fifth spot on on that list. Uh, So I think when you factor all of those things in, it it points to a guy who over the last decade, the decade in which he was a Cav, he was one of the most important players. He also has something that no other player in the Raptors has, and that's a championship ring. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think that certainly plays into it as well. I mean, I think for sure, and and that doesn't yeah. mean Hayden. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to put every member of that championship team up there, right? You're not putting right. Channing Fry up there. You're not putting Delhi up there. You're not putting J.R. Smith up there. Um, right. You can find a way to honor that 2016 championship team in a different kind of way because sure. each individual had a specific role, but on top of what that championship meant to the franchise and to the city, Tristan did all these other things, including where he ranks on the franchise all-time lists, where it makes it easier to make that argument for him as opposed to some of these other guys. I, it's, it's certainly an argument, and I think it would be much less of an argument if Tristan did stay in Cleveland and continue to play. So... I mean, that's, that's something we'll have to see, but certainly... But what about you know, Kevin? Like, Kevin what, was the complicated one to me. Really? Okay. Um, okay, I agree with that. And we talk, we talk a lot about Kevin, you know, we talked a lot about Kevin at the beginning about, you know, his impact. And I think for, I, you know, maybe I have a soft spot because I've, you know, because I totally relate. Um, but I think, as you said, for what, for the leadership that he's shown in Cleveland, for what he's done for you know, those that are struggling with mental health issues and being, you know, being one of the better players in the 2016 championship team, being a guy that chose to stay in Cleveland after mm-hmm. LeBron left. Um, you know, we'll see how the rest of his time here pans out. But I think he's probably teetering on the edge of getting retired as opposed to not. So this is how I wrote it in my piece. Okay. And this is why I think it's complicated. Because Kevin Love is a no-brainer Hall of Famer. Yes. He is going to the Hall of Fame when his career is over. He helped change the big man position forever. He put up massive numbers early in his career with the Timberwolves. And the Basketball Hall of Fame, um, it covers everything related to basketball. He was a prep star at Lake Oswego. He was one of the better college basketball players for the year that he played at UCLA. He is an Olympic gold medalist. He has some ambition to once again be part of Team USA for the 2021 Olympics. In fact, he was ready to go and compete for uh, a spot on the Olympic team for 2020 before everything changed with coronavirus. And now he's an NBA champion. So you look at the resume 
and he's one of the best power forwards of his era. He's a Hall of Famer. But, yeah. but was he a Hall of Fame player during the time that he was with the Cavs? No. I so don't think. that's the hard part. You're right. He wasn't. Like, his Hall of Fame credentials were built elsewhere. And that's not to say that he's been bad since he came here from Minnesota in 2014. But this is about their franchise. This is about the Cleveland Cavaliers history. And Kevin Love, since arriving in 2014, he's averaged 17.2 points and 10.0 rebounds. He's made two all-star teams. Five in total, but just two here in Cleveland. And if you look at the all-time lists of Cavs, the only time that Kevin even pops up is like three pointers made, and that's eighth overall or something like that, barely cracking the top ten. Um, so yes, he helped them win a championship. Yes, he was on the other end of the stop on Steph Curry. But for his time here in Cleveland, ah, Uh, I just don't know that he's done enough on the court. His best moments came in Minnesota, with the exception of helping the team win the championship. So I guess I guess if we're going to debate a little bit here with like you mentioned, Nate Thurman had played most of his best basketball elsewhere. Yeah. And, you know, other guys like, you know, some of the other names you mentioned weren't necessarily, you know, the Hall of Famers or anything like that. I just think that. Again, maybe it's just maybe it's just, again, the fact that he's, you know, that he's kind of emerged as a leader for this team and kind of become the face of the Cavaliers and become the face of this franchise. I think that has something to say. I think that goes in a little bit into the 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 Jersey retirement thing. Now, I think even the more the even more interesting one is Kyrie Irving. And you can say, oh, well, he made the shot. Yes. Oh, God, that's a no brainer. That's a no-brainer. You think it's a no-brainer? See, oh, God, yes. Uh, I don't know. Tell I'm me why as, it's not. I'm not as sold. Well, I think, I think it's more so because of what happened when he decided to leave. You know, I, I, again, I, I think that if, you, if you're going to put Kyrie in, I think you have to put Kevin in. So here's the problem. Like, to me, you can't make these practical decisions based on emotional pettiness. Well, I, I'm I'm not emotionally petty about any of it. I'm just saying from a Cavaliers. You just you just said the way that his career ended here in Cleveland, like that's what it well, is. I'm, I'm that's an emotional the Caval- thing. I'm I'm looking at it from the Cavaliers' perspective. Okay, so for them, they can't make this decision based on that. Did did his time in Cleveland end poorly? Absolutely. Was he a pain in the butt at times? Of course. Was his behavior erratic? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. Did he ultimately end this dynasty? Yeah, LeBron would even admit that that, that Kyrie asking for a trade was the beginning of the end. But he's the second best player in franchise history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, good, that's, that's what it comes point. down to. That's he made point. He made four of his six All-Star appearances here. He yeah. won Rookie of the Year here. He hit the biggest shot in franchise history here. Like, yeah, the the greatest things that Kyrie has accomplished in his career happened here with this franchise. Yeah, you can't say the same thing about Kevin Love. No, it's, that's that's a good point. That's definitely a good. Except point. for the championship that he was part of. I mean, and I think listen, if you're talking about importance on that championship team, obviously Kevin's a little bit further down that list than some sure. of the other guys. If we're being fair and honest, and oh, I love absolutely. Kevin. I think he is a great person. I love covering him. Um, I think the trade that they made for Andrew Wiggins was right. I have um, said that I think it makes sense for this organization, even though they're in the middle of a rebuild, to keep him here because of how valuable he is both on and off the court. But, but when you start talking about hanging numbers, like you do have to get a little bit more strict with um, your parameters, I think. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I, I, listen, I am t- certainly not arguing that Kyrie Irving is not the second best player in the franchise history, and that's a great point and why you probably kind of have to put him in the Raptors. But I guess my point is when, like, I guess certain teams have different criteria for for what the you know for the 
numbers they're retiring. Like some teams are re- really strict about it. Some teams have a ton of retired numbers. Some teams have, mm-hmm. you know, the Indians have what th- four or five statues. The Cavs have none. I mean, you know, it's just it, every team is different. And I think that, you know, it depends on what the Cavaliers, obviously the Cavaliers are going to look at Kyrie and they're going to say, oh, well, you know, obviously second best player in franchise history. No doubt he earned it on the court. But like, you know, if fans are still not on on his side or whatever, don't like the way things ended, would they be like trying to like push this? Oh, well, we, you know, we want to honor Kyrie and we want Kyrie to come back. And I don't know. Again, I don't I don't know how I know the relationship was rocky at times, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's certainly rocky with the fans. Um, and I just, I don't know what the franchise would think about. Okay. Well, it was a great, you know, he's an amazing player. He did some great things on the court. Um, but the way the things ended, the way the fans feel, I mean, are they going to really try to push the envelope and maybe, right. maybe they do it. Maybe they do it where they just, you know, they honor Kevin and Kyrie at the same time, or they do uh, <laughs> you know, something like that. I don't know, just to kind of lessen the, you know, some of the blowback, but I think that certainly it's going to be interesting to see when, and if that, I mean, when that time comes, it's going to come, but. It's going to be very interesting to see how they go about doing it. Because I agree, you know, you, he is the second best player in the franchise history, made the ultimately the greatest shot in franchise history um, and was certainly, you know, with the Cavaliers during some pretty bad times and helped them to get better even without LeBron. But um, again, it's just from a feel good standpoint. You want your you want your numbered jersey retirements to feel good, right? So I yeah. think it might be a little tougher for Kyrie as of now than it would be for some others. Well, here's the other thing, and I just thought about this right now. Kyrie Irving wears number two. Colin Sexton, Colin Sexton wears number two. Yeah. And Colin and Colin Sexton very well could people might scoff at this. <laughs> Colin Sexton very well could be the next max player for this franchise think about that yeah yeah and he wears that same number that may one day go can can you retire a number twice (laughs) (laughs) see these are debate these are things that i don't think the cavaliers want to think about right now no they're not but when you draft a guy eighth overall like colin sexton and he starts for you let him wear number two right after Kyrie Irving. exactly right who made the biggest shot in franchise history and yeah. is the second best player in franchise history. I mean, see, that's, again, I think, I, I think you think it's a no-brainer. I think it's a little, little less than that. I think it's just kind of like a, there's a, there, there are reasons to, to, to be skeptical. I would eviscerate this organization with a column if they went against that. Okay, and that's fair. I, would. I think that's fair. Like, it would again, be one of the most ridiculous things that I've heard since Cavs fans decided to call themselves the Dallas Mavaliers. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's a good or, point. Or the Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh, boy. Yeah, that was not good either. But let me tell you what. Um, it's a fun debate. It is a fun debate. It's, it's oh. something that, you know. And I think history will, will, will play out and we'll see how it goes. But it is a fun debate, especially... You know, I, I'm, I tend to think Tristan Thompson deserves it. I mean, I think, you know, just the fact that he's played so much, he's been a fan favorite. He, he, he's, you know, he's up there on all the thing on the all the leaderboards. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's never been anything but, a, you know, a solid guy, at, you know, in the community. I mean, I think mm. I think he deserves it in that way. I mean, look, if he comes back for one more year, let's say uh, the market is really chilly this offseason. Yeah. He wants to retest free agency in 2021 when things kind of settled down after COVID. Um, so if he signs a one-year contract and just comes back, like a mutually beneficial one, he has a chance to become the all-time leading offensive rebounder, passing Zydrunas Ogowskis. Yeah, He has a chance to be top three, I want to say, in blocked shots. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. If you're yeah. going to be that high on some of those lists, those are pretty important categories, and, and that's what Tristan was known for. And I don't think it would be fair to hold it against him that he wasn't the greatest, most prolific scorer, because that's just not who he was, right? What his role on this team was for basically the last decade was rebound, block shots, defensive anchor, now leader, screen setter, and all those different kinds of things. And if we can recognize that Larry Nance Sr. excelled at some of those same things and put him in the rafters 
because he was so great in that particular role, then I think we can have enough recognition of Tristan Thompson the same kind of way. I love it. I love it. All right, Chris, I got to run. But okay, bye. So- <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, with other people on furlough, with the jobs change, things change. So I'm heading out to a, a – um, we were talking. This is actually something I do want to bring up because I think it's a good, you know a really important topic, and we talked about it earlier. Uh, Ricky Smith, um, Riccone on Twitter. Yes. We you know, you guys know he organized a mural um, that was painted on a street in downtown Cleveland. It says Black Lives Matter, and I want to give Ricky a shout out because again, he's just done so much for you know not only the black, the black community in Cleveland but everybody in Cleveland. He's done an incredible amount of work. So we're gonna go check that out and show the scene on Facebook Live. Uh, and again, it's it's an, a powerful thing that's happening all around the country. You know, these Black Lives Matter um, murals are going up on streets in uh, D.C. There was one in Akron. There's one here in Cleveland and they're going to continue. So I think it's a great thing. And uh, I just wanted to give Ricky a little shout because I think, again, that's a it's he's he's done. He's continuing to get the word out. He's he receives a lot of bad things. You know, bad messages his way. But, I, you know, we just want to know that we I, I, I at least want to you know show my support for not only Ricky, but everybody who's helping to further the cause. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's it's very important. I've been seeing some of the pictures that have floated around on social media. Just a yeah. beautiful display. Artists yeah. coming together for one common thing, which is basically to celebrate that Black Lives Matter and, and, and to raise awareness and show off the beauty of it all. Yeah. It, it really is. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm excited to go down there and to see it myself and to show the people of Facebook maybe who aren't in Cleveland and um, who are around the country that, you know, things are good things are happening in Cleveland in regards to um, the Black Lives Matter movement and the Black Lives Matter. Just just the fact that, you know, we're really starting to unfortunately this late in the journey, but we're really starting to see um, and really starting to promote and care and, you know, put the necessary effort in to the Black Lives Matter movement, because sometimes I just think, you know, we we. Because if we think we aren't racist, then nobody else is. And I think, you know, it's time to fight instead of just to say, you know, it's not good enough anymore to say, oh, well, I'm not racist. Well, right. You have to be anti-racist. And I think that's something that I missed out on. And I think that's something that we're all kind of waking up to realize now. I agree. I think that's well said. Certainly. All right, Chris. Well, um, like I said, you can check out Chris on subtext. Um, and he will answer your questions and we will, well, if you want to text Chris via subtext, we will answer your questions on the wine and gold talk podcast. Uh, but in the meantime, Chris, uh, we'll have to get in that second nine here soon, hopefully <laughs> within the next couple of weeks, maybe before the next podcast, even, um, good luck finding those, uh, Bridgestones and those Callaways and we'll see how they work out for you. Thanks brother. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we will talk soon. Thank you guys for tuning into the wine and gold talk podcast. We will talk to you next week. So long.